Thanks, Mark. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Well, here we are. Good morning, everybody. Here we are. Here we are. So, we're going to be all over the place today. Uh, we're not in the, the book of Luke like we've been. We're, we're talking about specifically about a topic that is near and dear to everybody's heart right now at this moment in time. We talked about it last week, a little bit of politics. Um, showed you my stack of cards that have come over the last couple of weeks. These have all come this week uh, to our na- mailbox. In our house, we don't have a mailbox because we live out in the country, and so we've got one of those like boxes where everybody has a little box, you know, and you got to go with the key and open it up and whatnot. So it's about this big. There's our mailbox, and so all of these things are like like crammed, crammed in there. I don't think I'm getting my regular mail because the the delivery man is filling it with this stuff. I said last week, I made a claim last week, that as you look at all of these, they all look the same. It's like one, doesn't matter what party you come from, there's like one designer, one group that like, you put in your information, and it spits out your, your thing, and they're all the same. And, and I said, as a designer, a past designer, I was a little disappointed in that. But something came this week. This one came this week. They are not all the same. Maybe you've seen this one. This one... You open it up, and it's got a pop-up. I like that. I like that. So politicians, if you're watching, if they're politicians or creator of political material, I like that. Difference, difference, good. Difference, good. And again, I, I, uh, if you're not getting this stuff, if you're not getting this literature in your mailbox, this is like the last just couple of weeks here. If you're not getting this literature in your mailbox, please feel free. Come up front sometime. <laughs> Maybe during the sermon, grab some of these, you know, look at them and browse through some of that great reading material. We are going to be talking about politics again today. I didn't want to do a sermon and just like do one sermon and just like, oh, we, we ticked it off. We, we, we checked the box. We, we said what we needed to say. I kind of wanted us to be kind of thinking and processing through for, for multiple weeks about our place in the political process, how we view politics as um, American citizens, and, um, and what we do with that. Because I think this is a serious topic, and it's serious, it's serious to me, because as I look out and I see the TV stuff, I, I read the articles, whatnot, it just seems like it's getting worse and worse right? Louder and louder, more negative uh, on all sides. And I think as the church, we need to come together and say, how are we going to respond to this? What is our voice going to be within the political process? I am all for getting out and voting. So I'll stand here as your pastor and say, you know what? It's a great privilege that we have as Americans to participate in this process and go vote. Go get yourself registered to vote. Go out and vote. We won't stand up here and say, well, this is how you do it. Right? I'm not going to stand up here and say, well, this is how you need to do that. There are other churches that will, and you can, if you're interested in that, you can Google their material. But it is important. We do get a say in this thing called government, and how we do it. I, I want to be kind of focusing on the, these two weeks, these two um, uh, weeks in this series. How we do it matters. How we do it matters. And so we're going to look at some some scripture on that, put together a little picture of, of how we do this thing called politics. Again, politics, I mentioned last week that um, the, the, the New Testament was written uh, during a time of great influence. You had the Roman Empire, which is a great influence, of course, of the world. You had uh, the, the Jewish religion, which, uh, you know, Jesus is the, the Jewish Messiah, came out of of uh, that, and um, so that was an influence. You also had Greek philosophy, and, and, and Greek philosophy was huge, and, and philosophy during that day was just basically about how do we live together? What does it mean to live together as humans? How do we move forward? How do we, how do we solve problems together? And that's what politics is, right? We, we're coming together to just answer the question and, and to kind of give our, our voice to how are we going to live together as a country, as a town, as a community, uh, and that's kind of what politics is. There's a great divide. You see it in this material that you get in the mailbox. You see it in the commercials. But a lot of commentators have, have said, a lot of political commentators have said that what's interesting 
in, in the time we're living in right now, and maybe this, is, maybe this has gone on throughout history, um, but it just seems so true right now, most of what we're hearing, most of what we're hearing is coming from about 20% of the population, all right? And it's really broken down to these loud, the loudest voices, the angry messages, the, the stuff that's trying to divide us. It's kind of coming from 10% over here and 10% over here, right? And what we end up doing is sort of getting pulled into whatever side we sort of lean towards. And uh, I would say we need to stop listening to those loud voices, the angry voices, the, the voices that are saying, well, if you don't do this or if you do this, then it's, we're doomed to destruction. Note that kind of language and get kind of back to the middle because there are a whole lot of people within this great nation who just want to live together, work together, prosper together, and just build great communities together. And we have a lot of different ideas on what that means. Some ideas are better than others. Some ideas, um, you, know, are, you know, are tried and failed and a new idea comes in. But there are a lot of people who just want to sort of live together and do community together. And we need to kind of get back to that. In the middle, I said last week, the middle can kind of be a messy place. The middle can kind of be a messy place. Because what happens when you sort of sit in the middle? And not, not talking about the middle like we don't have an opinion, all right, you can, you can get to the middle and say, well, I'm just not, I'm just, I don't care, I don't care. And I'm not saying that, but uh, the middle is how we respond to one another. And it get kind of messy because you kind of get shot from both sides. I mentioned that last week. And so it can be kind of a scary place to be in. Now, uh, as I was looking at this series on politics, uh, I had read uh, Andy Stanley's book on not in it to win it, not plugging this for any promotional reasons, but this was very influential to me over this last year as I read this book, and so I do attribute a lot of what I say to uh, Andy's sort of outline in this book. If I say good things again, it's coming from Andy Stanley. If I really mess this up, then you can throw the tomatoes at me. Uh, another book, so I highly recommend that one. Another book that I just recently read, uh, and again, I don't do a lot of promotion of material up here, but there, there's a lot of great material out there that's been written to talk about sort of this messy middle and where we are. Uh, this book, Truth Over Tribe, and I had a couple other people read this as well, Truth Over Tribe. This is a fantastic book written by a couple of pastors who are, <laughs> one's a, a Republican background, one's a, a Democrat background, coming together and say, we just want to live like Jesus. And so this was, this Truth Over Tribe is a fantastic book as well, um, to, to talk about this issue of politics and how we engage with it. Andy Stanley does say this. This comes from his book. Political disagreement is usually fueled by divergent experiences, not low IQ or lack of character. What do we do when we come upon a view that we just don't like? Aren't they so stupid for thinking that, right? I mean, that's, that's sort of what we do. How in the world could they think of that? You know, if they were just more educated, they would be more on our side. These are the kind of things that we throw into the conversation. Uh, but it, political disagreement, and again, this focusing on this sort of middle area where there's a, just a lot of people who just want to do life together, and they may have different experiences, and so they're coming up with different solutions on how to solve the problems of the day and age. And if we don't agree, it's not necessarily because someone's stupid or that they have no character. It's just that we come from different places. We come from different spaces. Over the last few years, as I've been, you had meetings with people and, and just kind of growing uh, myself um, as I've been getting older, I'm, I'm coming to realize that, you know, as I meet with people and as I live life, I am not the smartest person in the room. I know I come here on Sunday morning and I can see I am definitely not the smartest person in this room. I go home, very clear to me. I am not the smartest person in my home. My wife's brilliant. Of course, my, my teens and tweens, awesome, brilliant as well. Uh, have meetings with people. And I, I realize we often kind of demonize other people because we just don't think they're bringing intelligence into the argument, 
right? And I've learned that to step back, and it's usually the best practice as you're in a conversation with somebody to just realize, I am probably not the smartest person in the room. It would be valuable for me to actually hear and actually take in a little bit. Not that I'm going to agree with everything, but at least hear where that other person is coming from. What's interesting about America, this country that we call America, we really can't just come out and say, hey, we're all Americans, as if it's just one thing. Do you notice that when you look around? What is America? We, we come from such a diverse history. We're a, a group of diverse people, right? We're, we're made up of, of immigrants, people from all over the world, have come to this place. And I think with the, 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 the form of government that we have, a democracy where voices are heard and people can give input into the situation, it becomes more and more diverse over time. This is the direction that America is heading in. I mean, you, you think about it, we're, we're huge. We have a huge country. You, you think about from, from this coast where we live to the West Coast, and all in between. Think of the different experiences and viewpoints and, and, and um, how, how people have, have lived over time. And so the idea of America is one of, that's, that's meant to morph and adjust as we grow, depending on who's here. And that's actually a very, very beautiful thing. The church, the church is beautiful when it's full of people who aren't just alike to one another, right? The church is beautiful when it's a mixture of different kind of people from different experiences and different backgrounds, and this is the picture that we get in the book of Revelation when Christ comes back and we are worshiping around the throne room, every tongue and tribe and nation, and it's a very diverse mix of people. And so our country is beautiful when we have all of these different experiences and backgrounds, and all of that, and the church is beautiful when it is full of people who aren't just all alike. But we, we read last week, we saw last week where Jesus' prayer was for our unity, right? Jesus actually prayed for us, specifically prayed for us as a people. And what, he did, what did he pray? He prayed for unity, that we would be united. Even when we, we come from different places and, and we have different backgrounds, that we would be united. And unity is not uh, like the, we, the way we naturally go. We don't gravitate towards unity, right? It doesn't seem like that happens. Unity is not our natural inclination. Uh, there was a study that was done a couple of years ago in, at Leiden University, some uh, social and psychology professors were, were talking about this idea of sort of tribalism and why can't we all get along and, and, and is it something that's built inside of us or, or what is it? It's nurture versus nature. Well, they did a study with the um, oxytocin drug. Are you familiar with oxytocin? It's actually called the love drug. Familiar with that? Uh, you get more, yeah, it's, it's produced in our body, and, and, uh, and I'm not a scientist or a doctor here, so I, I may fudge a little bit on, on my knowledge here, but um, it's the love drug, and so we produce more of it when we get into relationships, like a, a marriage or dating relationship, and it makes us happy. It connects us together. It, it kind of connects us together, and it's called the love drug. So someone, someone said, well, why don't we just put this stuff in the water? Why don't we just you know, put oxytocin in the water? We're all drinking this stuff. Therefore, we will all get along. It will draw us closer together. So they actually did a study. How does this affect, if it's introduced into the system, into the environment, how does this affect us? And so um, there's a, a professor and his colleagues. What they did is they sprayed oxytocin into, they had two groups of men. They sprayed oxytocin into one group's nostrils, and the other they didn't. So one group gets a dose of oxytocin, the love drug, and, and they wanted to see what would happen. The other group did not. The men in the group with oxytocin, they made less selfish decisions for the people in their group. So as they were talking and communicating, they were really starting to connect with one another. What they found is they became 
more selfish, and they wanted to actually do more harm, and they had a more negative view to the other group who they had not bonded with. So the, 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 this love drug is actually also a tribe drug. What they said, as we produce this in our bodies and we connect with certain people, it actually will help us kind of become more tribal and separate from other people in our communities if we don't agree with them or get along or we don't have a, a connection with them. I thought that was very fascinating. And again, it goes back to our natural inclination is not to connect, right? I think this is one of the, the things of the fall, Right? God created us, and he, was, he said to, to multiply and prosper, be community, build communities centered around him. And because of the fall, we find these things where in life, there are things that now get in the way of those, those relationship-building qualities that God intentionally had in store for us. So our... our, our, our our tendency is not to connect with other people who are outside our group. Our tendency is actually to kind of consolidate our group, to build up our group, even to the detriment or harm of someone else who's outside of that group who we are not connected. This is why we have stories like the Good Samaritan. If we're familiar with the Good Samaritan, right? If we've been in church long enough, we've read the Good Samaritan story. Maybe if you're not in church, you've read the Good Samaritan story. Why is this even a story? Because of the Jewish people, there were no good Samaritans. They had, they had isolated them. They said, nope, you're not part of our tribe. You're not part of our group. Therefore, we see no value in you, in what you're doing. This is why Jesus brings in a story like this to open their eyes, to, to, to put themselves in someone else's shoe in, in, their, in their position and say, hey, this kingdom is bigger and bigger than you can imagine. Because when it comes down to it, our human nature is to kind of get smaller and smaller and smaller as a group and as a tribe. The early church was so interesting. It was such a, a messy place, such a beautiful place, but also such a messy place. We see in 1 Corinthians uh, 9, we read this last week, so I won't go into a lot of detail on this, but... Paul speaking up, and, and people are questioning, well, why are you doing what you're, what you're doing? And uh, he's getting flack from both the Jewish communities and the Gentile communities and says, hey, I'm just coming out. Hey, I am free. I'm not anybody's slave, but I have made myself a slave to everyone because I recognize, I recognize that it's so easy to be pulled in one direction or another, and I need to break out of that. To the Jews, I'm like a Jew. To the Gentiles, I'm like a Gentile. To the weak, I become weak. Why? In order to win some for Christ, in order to proclaim the gospel and share in the blessing of the gospel. So I'm breaking out of my tribes. I'm breaking out of my tribes. We read this again last week as well. There's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. He says, this is where we are now. This is who we are. Paul is recognizing the social structures, the boundaries of the day, and he's, he's, he's helping us break that apart to have a, a, a larger worldview of what the church is all about. We talk about it, we've seen, I grew up with the tracks that showed the cross and what the cross does for us, and the cross bridges our relationship between us and God, right? And this is a very familiar image, right? We're on the one side of the chasm, and God's on the other side, and the cross is in the middle, and this is our way to connect with God. The cross also creates a bridge for our relationships with one another as well. Where beforehand, the world is just made up of tribes and groups and communities that were just out to win and to, to dominate. Jesus comes and says, no, this is not what the kingdom of God looks like. And I'm going to bridge the relationship between you and God. But I'm also going to, to help bridge the relationship between you and someone else. You and the other people uh, around you within your community. And the mission of the gospel was so important, the news was so important that they had to put their differences aside 
to get the word out. The church had to lay aside their differences, what was meant to separate them, in order to get the good news of the gospel out. So Paul says, there is no Jew or Greek, there is no slave or free, there is no male or female. What's beautiful about the early church is that you could be in a, in a church setting with every single one of those people in those social, economic, political levels. You could be sitting, as a master, you could be sitting with a slave. And Christ is saying, you are all one with me. You're all one with me. You could be, uh, a husband and wife could be sitting together and, and, and they're saying that, hey, everybody has value and purpose in this kingdom, not just the men who are dominating the culture right now. You could be sitting there as a, a Jewish fellow and then a Gentile fellow right next to you and, and, and Christ is saying that everybody has a position in this kingdom it, everybody has a position in this kingdom now. This is hard to do. Christ, Christ says this is hard to do. Matthew 5, he says, hey, if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? If you're only friendly to the people that you like, what's, what's, what's out of the ordinary of that? The, the Gentiles do the same thing. The world does the same thing. We, we try to find our camp and we sit in our camp. And during the political season, we're told where our camp is and you better sit in that camp, Right? The world is going to call us out when we don't stay in line with what they see or what they value, where they think we should be. Here's a, a beautiful illustration of kind of breaking out of the box. This, uh, this was years ago. Um, I follow the Dallas Cowboys, just in case you didn't know. I follow the Dallas Cowboys, shaking of heads all over the place. Uh, I follow the Dallas Cowboys, and at, at one of their games years ago, uh, President George Bush was attending the game, and sitting right next to him, was Ellen DeGeneres. You know Ellen? All right, and so there was a couple shots during the game of President Bush and, and Ellen sitting right next to him, and, and, and someone caught a shot of them communicating together and laughing and joking and having, having what looked like a good time together. And that got onto the social feeds, that had gone into the news networks, that was plastered all over the place. You know, people from all over were like, how could you sit with her? And how could you sit with him? You're, you come from two totally different places. And, and the, the shots being fired across the bows, you know, were, were just amazing, incredible, uh, incredible to witness. Uh, Ellen comes out, she had a TV show at that time, and, and she comes out with this. She, she says this. She says, uh, Ellen says this, during the game, they showed a shot of me and George laughing together. And so people were upset. They thought, why is a gay Hollywood liberal sitting next to a conservative Republican president? Here's the thing, she said. I'm friends with George Bush. In fact, I'm friends with a lot of people who don't share the same beliefs that I have. We're all different, and I think that we've forgotten that it's okay. De DeGeneres continued, uh, when I say be kind to one another, I don't mean only be kind to the people who think the same way you do. I mean be kind to everyone. It doesn't really matter. This is what was built into the early church, Christ coming and saying, hey, you are going to be united together no matter where you come from. This is the beauty of the kingdom of God. This is where we're going in the future. And he's, Christ is saying, why don't we practice this now? This is your job now to practice this here and now. And so these seeds of change, of, of, of getting together with people who didn't look or uh, behave or believe um, in everything like you did, uh, the, those seeds of change began to spring up in the early church. And so this is where Paul says there's no Jew or Greek or slave or free, male or female, since you're all one in Christ. And on that passage, a little side note, Paul is not saying, Paul's not telling us that our personalities, our, our heritage, or who we are disappears, or is not important. He's not saying that. He's not giving that message that, oh, now we are all just one, and we all look like just one, we have one, one image, one way to represent the church. Paul is not actually saying that. He, he, what he's saying is, it doesn't matter who you are, anyone can step up to the table. 
because of Christ and what he has done for us. Jesus has given us a new foundation. He's established the new foundation where, that we all relate to. And we all join in on that. Uh, a buzzword for our, our day has been that, you know, colorblind. I'm colorblind. We hear this thrown out there. I like what Pastor Derwin Gray says about how we, um, how we see diversity and difference within the churches. He says, we don't, we're, colorblind is not the best way to describe us. We're actually color-blessed as the kingdom of God. We're color-blessed because there's beauty, there's variety, there's value in all humanity. And we should be blessed by that. Again, it, it's back to the picture of Revelation and, and the end of the, the story when every tribe, it doesn't say, hey, this little group here gets to come to the throne room. And if you look like this group, then you get to come around the throne room and worship God. Every tribe, every language, every nation is gathered around the throne of God. And the church is the first representation of that final goal where there's great, the, a great diversity of humanity coming to worship together, fully integrated around the throne room. I think that's a beautiful picture. When we talk about the banquet table of God, we're going to sit around the banquet table of God, feasting with, with Christ at, at the great banquets. I, I imagine all the foods... Right? And you give African cuisine coming in and sitting around the table and being passed around. You have uh, Central American cuisine coming around, being passed around the table. You know, we've got good old American cheeseburgers being passed around the tables and, and, and things, French fries and stuff like that. And then you have uh, Eastern European food that's all passed around the tank. This is like the banquet of God, where all those flavors are coming to that banquet. And we get to enjoy the great diversity of humanity, all centered around Christ and worshiping Christ. And we get to do that here. We get to do that here. As a church, we get to do that here and now. Now, if you've been attending this church uh, over the last couple of years, then you can probably quote, because we've gone over this a couple of times, you can probably quote what Jesus' great command was for his followers. Right? Love God and love others. We're not going to do a study on that because there are plenty of sermons we've preached on that over the last couple of years. You can go back and look at that. But the great command was love God and love others. And Christ put it all into one command. I want to talk about a little bit about our position to one another, how that plays out with one another, how the cross bridges our relationships today. One of the ways that Paul says this happens, that we love one another, that we reach out to one another, is when we carry one another's burdens. Galatians 6.2, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If you think about it, if you have to go and carry someone's burden, what do you have to do? If you've got a need or someone in our community has a need, a physical, spiritual, emotional, whatever it may be, what do you have to do? You actually have to get close to them. You actually have to move in their direction, right? See, sometimes, and, I, and relating to, this, to the political season, yeah, I see people over there who, who don't look like me, agree with me, and yeah, I know God says I'm supposed to love them and take care of them, so, but you're on that side of the camp. I'm over here. If you've got a burden, why don't you come to me? Why don't you come over this way? The direction of Paul's thought is, no, you actually have to walk over to that other person, recognize the need, and walk in their direction walk towards them. See, we, we're kind of fine to say that, oh, you know, I see a need out there, and I hope that maybe they'll chuck it over into our court, and then we can take care of the need, and I don't really have to worry about the messy stuff of relationship or, or disagreement or, or getting together with someone that, that doesn't meet my, my model or mold or, or likes or interests. 
Paul says, carry one another's burdens, and this way you fulfill the law of Christ. In order to do that, it requires me moving in your direction. It requires me moving in your direction. It requires me moving in your direction, which allows me to understand why you stand where you stand, why you think what you think, why you believe what you believe. Does that make sense? Moving in someone else's direction means that you're open to hearing their point of view, why they believe, where they, why they stand where they stand. And Paul says this is what we do as we love one another. We move over to where that other person is to better understand the situation, the need, where they are. Does that make sense? I kind of feel like what we do is we, we kind of get on a roundabout. You guys ever been on a roundabout? They're becoming more and more popular in the U.S. You go over to Europe, they're all over the place. In fact, they've got roundabouts that like take up a whole city square. You go like the, to England or something like that, and you just get on this huge roundabout that's like eight lanes deep. I can't imagine being in that, you know, getting into the center of that thing and just going around and around because I don't know how to get off this thing. There's, there's eight lanes I need to get back across to get to my exit. I feel like sometimes we get into these, these roundabouts. I've got a place or a position or a thought, something I'm holding on to, and all I can do is go round and round and round and round. And I hope maybe other people come into this roundabout and... and, and um, and give me their opinion or give me their advice. And, and this is sort of what we do. We, we just kind of spin around and around and we let other people come in and, and feed us and feed us while we go around and around and around. Paul says, get off the roundabout. Get off the roundabout. Get close to someone else. Experience their life. Experience what they're going through in order to help carry that burden for them. Uh, one of the things in this book that they talk about is what we get caught up in as we get into our tribes is we get caught up in anxiety. We get caught up in anxiety. And they, they list anxiety. They, they give three different names to three forms of anxiety. Anxiety of the crusader, anxiety of the hunted, and anxiety of the bystander. And again, they're, they're talking politics in here. And they say that some of us get hung up with anxiety of, of the crusader. And crusader, crusaders fear those outside their tribe. They fear those outside their tribe. They see their, the other people's ideas as dangerous for society. They come with a lot of conviction, but not a lot of grace. Not a lot of grace. Other people get caught up in being the anxiety of the, the hunted the hunted fear being canceled. They fear tripping on landmines they, they couldn't see. And so they keep quiet and they try not to rock the boat at all because they just don't want to be canceled or cut out. See, so another form of anxiety is the anxiety of the bystander. The bystanders fear breaking with their own tribe to speak the truth. They fear alienation from the group they belong to. And they can get run over by the crusaders. Uh, because they'll come after them if they have an errant thought, or, and they rely heavily on their group to just continue feeding them information. And, and yes, 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 okay, I'll go with that, I'll go with that. And so we get caught up with our anxiety. This is part of going on that roundabout, just round and round and round, because we're afraid to get off and listen to where another person may be coming from. And this continues to separate us. Paul says something about anxiety. He says in Philippians 4, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer, petition, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God has promised to guard us as we go to him. I think as we are seeking the peace from God, it actually allows us to be a little bit more open-minded to hear and take in information from other people who are outside of our group. Because why? We, our foundation rests in something more secure than just these ideas that keep popping up, you know, over time, right? It says, don't be anxious. Rest in the Lord, and the Lord will give you peace. 
and understanding, and he will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Micah was a prophet, and he was talking about the future destruction of the, the nation of Israel. Things were going to get pretty bad for the nation of Israel. And Micah's prophesying, and he's speaking, and here's his advice to his people. Micah 6, 8, he has told you, O man, what is good. Things are going to get bad. This is the, things are going to get really bad. Things are going to seem really bad for you. This is what you do. O man, what is good? Uh, he said, told you, O man, what is good? What the Lord does, what the, excuse me, what does the Lord require of you? This is what the Lord requires of you, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. When things get bad, this is, this is what Micah tells the nation, this is what you do, to love justice, to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. To be good to other people and seek out their best. Be bold. Be bold. To seek the justice of others. To love kindness. To act in a way that honors other people. And to walk humbly with your God. Know that God and his kingdom are your foundation. Even when times get rough. Like it says, this is what you do. It's going to get really bad. It's going to get really bad for this nation. The nation of Israel. And he says, this is what you do. This is what you do. Still love justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. And the thing about it is, as we talk about stepping closer to someone else, this is exactly what Jesus did for us. Did he not? This is what Jesus does for us. Jesus, the Son of God, moved closer to us to carry our burden the thing that we could not hold, the thing that we could not take care of. He moved in our direction. Philippians 2, taking on the likeness of humanity. When he had come as a man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. This is what Christ, this is Christ stepping into our place, coming next to us when, when we were separated from God and going our own way and, and trying to do life on our own and, and without hope, without a future. Christ moves close to us. And when I say this, I'm not talking about waffling on your values or your views or your opinions, you know, staying strong in your convictions. But we need to have the grace and the humility, knowing that our foundation is in Christ, to actually step close and say, you know what? I can hear from you. I can hear from you. It may not change my opinion. It may not change the way I vote, but we are all human here. And this, this, this thing, this politics, this, this thing we do that's called politics, it's about us living together and promoting our community and prospering together. And the message of Jesus, Jesus coming close, he, he's come close to us, and we've accepted him as our Savior. And the message of Jesus is he's come close to those in our community as well. And it's waiting for them to respond. It's good news for everyone. It's good news for everyone. It is really easy to be with my people, to seek out my people, to seek out people who agree with me. We've got some hard work to do to be the church that grows and goes and moves closer to other people in order to hear their stories, share in their experiences, share the gospel and the love of Christ with them. And a lot of it depends on the position and how we do this, how, how we view our position in this world, how we view our position in this world. What power do we hold? What power do we hold? What power do we try to hold? Okay, we can, we can, we can do politics we, we can do this in a number of different ways. And I think a lot of it is de de determined by what position we see that we hold. What position do we hold in this world? I'm, I want to read two quotes, two, two political statements to you. I want to read two political statements to you. First one comes from a, uh, a, a uh, democratically elected individual. The second one comes from a, a slave this one says, the first one says, uh, 
The national government will maintain and defend the foundation on which the power of our nation rests. It will offer strong protection to Christianity as the very basis of our collective morality. Today, Christians stand at the head of the country. We want to fill our culture again with the Christian spirit. We want to burn out all the recent immoral developments in literature, in entertainment, in the press. In short, we want to burn out the poison of immorality which has entered into our whole life and culture as a result of excess during recent years. That's a political statement made actually by an elected individual. Let me read this other one that was written by a slave. He says this. This one may be more familiar. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existed, who existing in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he'd emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. When he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this very reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Both of those are two political statements. Who is Lord? Who do we follow? And how do we do it? Both of those messages give two different ways of trying to accomplish this goal. The, the second one, I said, was written by a slave. He was a slave Paul. Paul, slave to everyone, saying, telling us, adopt the same attitude of Christ Jesus. The one that you follow, adopt this attitude. The first one was, uh, it was given in a speech after, uh, yeah, by a, an elected individual. That individual is actually Adolf Hitler who gave that first speech. We need to be very careful of how we view our position on this earth and in the kingdom of God. There are a lot of people out there who will just throw out the name of Christ or Christian rhetoric to try to gain power and influence. And it comes from both sides, all sides, to gain influence and power and, and, and move in the direction that they want to move by force. Paul comes out with a different message. He says, hey, Christ is the king. This is very political during this time. Christ is the king. He's, he's writing these words, and, and there's already a, a king out there. His name is Caesar, right? He ruled the world. And, and Paul writes this, hey, we have a new king. Adopt the same attitude as Christ Jesus, your king. And he uses words like he emptied himself. He humbled himself. He walked in suffering at times, ultimate suffering at a time. And he was exalted above all. Again, I think this comes to how we see, we need to kind of think about how we see our position in this world as believers, as the church. It's helped me over the last couple of years, uh, a, a theologian who does a podcast called Theology in the Raw he, he, he says it this way. He says, this is the way I think the church should respond. We should see ourselves as, not as Israel, the conquering Israel, but we should actually see ourselves as Israel who is in exile. If we're going to take a position, and there are a lot of people out there who, who quote, they go back to the Old Testament and say, see, this is how we're going to conquer. This is how we're going to take over. This is, this is what God has promised us, promised us. If we just pray more, then, man, God is going to bless and bless and bless this country. And so we kind of cherry pick the promises given to Israel saying, hey, if we just do this, then God will do the same thing to us. But God never promised the other nations of the world Israel's promises. That's not our position as another nation God had some specific things for Israel that he was going to build into Israel so that the Messiah would come, the promised Messiah for the world would come. I like what this theologian says. Actually, we are more like exiles. What do we talk about when we talk about the kingdom of God? Well, this is not our home. 
This is not our home. We're, we've, we, we're witnesses of a, of a new kingdom. You know, the, the term ambassador is given to us in the New Testament by Paul. What does an ambassador do? What does an ambassador do? An ambassador doesn't go into a country and wield the sword and try to take over, right? The ambassador's there to live in that country, relate and talk to the people of influence in that other, that foreign country to them and representing the other country where they came from. How do we see ourselves in this world? How do we see ourselves? Jeremiah, Jeremiah the prophet, if we're going to talk about exiles, Jeremiah is saying, well, this is what's going to happen to you. Again, it's not going to be great. It's not going to be fun. You're going to be exiled to Babylon. Jeremiah and Jeremiah 29, we love Jeremiah 29 where, you know, uh, it talks about us prospering. God is going to prosper us later on. Uh, but he says, this is what you do when you're in exile. This is your attitude when you're in exile. He says, when you go to Babylon, build houses, live in them. Plant gardens, eat their produce, find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons, give daughters to men in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease. Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. I pray for this country. You guys pray for this country. That's, that's a godly thing to do, to pray for this nation. Pray, pursue the well-being of the city I have deported to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. For when it thrives, you will thrive. For this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel says. Don't let your prophets who are among you and your diviners deceive you. And don't listen to the, to the dreams you elicit from them. For they are prophesying falsely to you in my name. What's happening with those other prophets is they're basically telling them, this is how you're going to take over. This is how God's going to conquer this other nation that you're going to be deported to and in captivity to. This is how you're going to overcome. This is how you're going to wield the sword against them. This is how you're going to, on your own, cut your captivity time in half. And Jeremiah says, no, no, no. This is not what the Lord has told you, asked you to do. Go into that place. Build houses. Have your gardens. Get married, have families, pursue the well-being of the city I've deported you to. Pray for it. Pray for it, because when it thrives, you will thrive. We live in a temporary space and position. If we are truly believers that there is a kingdom up there, God's kingdom, that is eternal, and this is what, where we reside now, even though we live right here at this time in this place, we live in a temporary space and position. Isaiah says this, look, the nations are like a drop in a bucket. And that includes our country as well. They are considered as a speck of dust on the scales. He lifts up the islands like fine dust. Nations come, nations go. The kingdom of God is forever. And what we saw in that Philippians passage where he says, adopt the same attitude of Christ who came in the form of a human who died on the cross on our behalf, the most perfect and most powerful person who ever lived, never leveraged his power for his own good, but only for the good of others. Think about that. First thing that happens in Jesus' ministry after he's baptized is he's led out into the wilderness and he's tempted by Satan. What does Satan promise him, basically? Power, fame, prosperity. He's going to have the kingdoms. He's going to have all that. And Jesus resists that temptation because he knew he had to walk down a certain path. And he had to walk in humility because giving up his own power would eventually be good for others. And that's us. He committed to work and to walk through loss so that we could win. And he said to follow in his example. So during this political season, let's remember that we are partisan to a king, King Jesus. You know, that's who we follow. That's who we fight for. 
King Jesus. It's who we live for. And democracy is worth fighting for. You know, God has put us in this place in this time to be in this country. And there are things worth fighting for and standing up for and positions to take and opinions to be had. And so, again, I encourage as we go out, hey, you know, go vote. Let's do our part. Let's, let's embrace the privilege that we have to lend our voice to this great system of government that we're living in right now. But we have to do it in grace. We have to do it in grace and humility and love. And I joked a couple weeks before this series that I would stand up here and say, I'm going to tell you how to vote. Come, in, come and listen to this and we'll tell you how to vote. Vote your Christ-informed conscience. Vote your Christ-informed conscience. But realize, because we all come from different places and spaces and experiences, we all don't think exactly the same. And so we, we vote our Christ-informed conscience and we realize that someone else's conscience may not lead them there towards the same solution because of their experience and their background. And we walk in grace. We walk in grace. We, we follow Paul's example when he said, hey, go and carry one another's burdens, which means you actually have to walk up to that other person and actually be able to hear and experience and take in their story. Let's do that hard work. That's hard work. Again, this does not come naturally to us. Let's do that hard work. And let's not get sucked in to the political hype that we all get sucked into during this time of the year, the season that we're in. But let's walk in humility and grace. And let's remember, <laughs> I think we're about to hopefully end this political season. But guess what? Another one starts up right after that, right? It's gotten to the point where it just is built it's one after another, one after another, one after another, and the church of Christ needs to lead out in showing the world how we respond in grace, love, truth, and conviction, but always in a Christ-like attitude. And Jesus, we come to you, our Lord and Savior. I pray, Lord, for your divine power of humility, humbleness, of seeking God's kingdom first before anything else. Pray, Lord, that you would fill our spirits with this power. Help us be wise and good stewards of the political process that we live in and that we get to experience as the country. But I pray, Lord, that the grace of Christ would flow into our communities because of the way that we act and we respond and how we will listen to others. Come in Jesus' name, amen.